0: standing up for science. Woo! Good work, everyone. I'm happy to stand and to chant with you today because for so long, science has been silent. And today,
1: science is not silent and will not be.
0: Science is not silent. One of the rallying cries. Uh, the scene just a few hours ago in downtown Boston scientists from around the world rallying in support of their disciplines and against the policies of donald trump's administration mark Zastro, our regular in-studio guest joins us on the line live from boston where he's been reporting from a science conference Uh, first can you just tell us mark a bit more about the mood at this rally and what they did hope to accomplish
1: yes good morning alex Uh, There were at least several hundred people at this rally in historic Copley Square in downtown Boston, Uh, organizers estimated at at over a 1,000. But it wasn't just scientists, and it wasn't just people at this conference. You know, I talked to families that were here from Boston and around Massachusetts. Um, Some were science teachers, and many of them were just concerned citizens. And over and over again, you know, I heard them say, for example, they're worried about Trump's EPA head, Scott Pruitt, who has previously opposed the Environmental Protection Agency's existence and wants to scale back its environmental regulatory powers. Uh, And certainly, you know, people have been concerned about the administration's propensity for alternative facts and even outright falsehoods and lies. But you could also sense a broader message starting to emerge from this rally, I think, that science uh, is not just a driver of progress, but also a protective force. It keeps society safe, and you can see many signs um, that were made saying, for example, "Do you have polio? No? Then thank science." So, yeah, I think you know overall, it's clear that Trump's election and the first month of his administration has been a huge wake-up call for scientists in the U.S. and around the world. And what came through loud and clear at this rally is uh, a call for a new era of political engagement from scientists and to, to place science at the heart of people's own interests.
0: Mark, I just want to ask you a quick question. Can people pick and choose science? You know, for, for those who don't want scientists to be going off and, and moving into um, realms of the universe and physics and so on, but uh, do want them to be curing things like polio, is that a reasonable expectation?
1: Well, you know, it's, it, to pick and choose is hard to do by policymakers, right? It's easiest to do by the people who understand those fields. I think that might be the danger in, you know, politicians trying to pick and choose uh, which fields we should focus on and which fields we shouldn't focus on because there are advances, you know, for for example, in medicine that will come from physics, that will come from particle accelerators. Um, they're very much interconnected.
0: Yeah, that's what I was also thinking. So um, thanks for clarifying. But can you tell us a bit more about this conference that you're at, hosted by the American Association for the Advancement of Science?
1: Yeah, well, so this meeting is one of the world's largest general scientific conferences. Uh, As many as 10,000 scientists attend this meeting every year. And when I say general science conference, I mean that it includes scientists from all different fields coming together to talk about their research. Uh, and that's good for scientists because, as you know, as we were just saying, they might be able to talk to people in other fields that might have insight into their work across disciplines. And another interesting aspect of this conference is that the organization that hosts it, uh, the American Association for the Advancement of Science, or also known as AAAS, it's also involved on Capitol Hill. It functions a little bit like a think tank. In Washington. Uh, It's not its only role, but it it does do this kind of work, advocating for science and issuing reports on science funding. And so this meeting tends to be, I would say, society-oriented. It grapples with big policy issues that affect society. And this year, I have to say, the mood has been very different from previous years, and that's because of Donald Trump. Uh, Every day, in addition to the, the scientific lectures and the talks, there have been meetings that have basically functioned as town halls with scientists uh, trying to figure out basically how to be activists, how to fight back against these anti-science policies that we're seeing from the Trump administration. And and this rally was a part of that.
0: So it could well be seen, this rally that you've been at, as as a warm-up for a much larger march that scientists have planned for April 22nd, which is Earth Day. It's going to be in Washington, D.C., uh, the one we're talking about here. It's modelled after the success of the Women's March last month. Is there concern that uh, scientists might become too political or that science might be politicised?
1: That is indeed a big concern. It has been a topic of a lot of discussion and debate at this meeting. You know, Many scientists do fear that making a big march on Washington turns scientists into just another political interest group, just another group with an agenda but of course others would say that's exactly what science needs because science is already being politicized by its opponents and now scientists need to develop the tools to fight that Uh, it's fair to say that political activism does not come naturally to a lot of scientists you know I heard some speakers today at the rally saying I don't want to be here uh, outside in copy square I want to be in the lab I want to be doing my work but they also said this is a different era And protests that, you know, may have come off as strident or partisan maybe 10 years ago might not have that effect today. And, Mm. you know, also many scientists uh, make the distinction that it's possible to be political without necessarily being partisan.
0: One thing about science, though, is that you shouldn't have to pick sides, right? I mean, these are objective facts. That's what science is all about, in theory. But um, let's move on to some of the results that have been announced at this conference. One of them, coastal water, an unexpected factor that keeps it clean. Seagrass meadows. It's almost like the image of a, of a lotus uh, flower keeping a pond clean. I don't know if you've ever seen that analogy, Mark, but what exactly is a seagrass meadow?
1: Yeah, it, well, it, it, it actually it looks a lot kind of how you would imagine it in your mind. It's a, basically an expanse across the seafloor of short seaweed that looks just like grass. And they're actually one of the most common shallow water ecosystems and also one of the most threatened. And it turns out that these meadows actually kill 50% of bacteria, dangerous pathogenic bacteria that can uh, kill coral reefs and also cause disease in humans. And scientists actually found this out the hard way. Because a team of scientists were diving around some uh, damaged coral reefs in Indonesia, and uh, they came down with dysentery and typhoid fever. And that was from pollution runoff from the communities living on the coast, untreated wastewater, running into the ocean. But when they dove at reefs that were near seagrass meadows that were healthy, they found these uh, levels of bacteria were greatly reduced you know so for example you you might remember that rio de janeiro was really concerned about bacteria in the water on its beaches during the run-up to the olympics uh cities and communities like those may want to now pay attention to the health of their seagrass meadows
0: or get planting um how exactly does this work though
1: uh, the short answer is scientists don't actually know yet. It may be that the grass is actually acting like a filter and the microbes are sticking to the blades of grass. It might be that uh, the grass is generating oxygen that is killing the bacteria. And it might also be that some of the myriad of animals in the ecosystem that these grasses support uh, could be doing either of the above and killing or removing the bacteria
0: also. Well, we know certain vegetation can be very helpful at cleaning the air So it's not entirely counterintuitive, but uh, it would be interesting to find out more about the mechanism there, Mark. And uh, finally, NASA has found some extraordinary microbes, not in space, but inside a cave in Mexico, and they are ancient.
1: That's right, literally ancient. Uh, A team of NASA researchers reported at this meeting that they have found microbes embedded inside rock crystals in the Naica mountain caves in Mexico. And they estimate that these microbes have been encased inside this rock for at least 10,000 years possibly as long as 50,000 years. And when they extracted them from the rock in the lab, they were actually able to revive them.
0: So, so Mark, the key right point here is not just the the age of the microbes, because obviously we know that, that life has existed for much longer. Uh, it's the fact they've been able to survive in this particular form, I presume.
1: Exactly. They're incredibly hardy um, life forms. It, it's Yeah, it's very, very interesting. And scientists before have reported being able to revive microbes that they believe may have been as old as millions of years. Uh, There's always been a lot of controversy about that, but this seems to be one of the best examples yet. And uh, the scientists think that if this result holds up, uh, which we should say it has not yet been submitted to peer review, but if it holds up, then they say that they're inclined to believe those million year old microbes may also be, uh, may be valid, may be valid results. So, you know, I think it just goes to show that there are some pretty incredible organisms that are able to survive in places that may seem completely uninhabitable, like inside rocks. And importantly, and of much interest to NASA, that may very well have implications for the odds of finding life on other worlds.
0: Well, what, what was it you said, life finds a way, quoting Jurassic Park not long ago? That's right. And, uh, well, it looks like they're going to try and do that with woolly mammoths uh, as well. And uh, there's been a lot of talk of that on social media lately. So I know you'll be keeping an eye on, on all areas of science for us and be bringing us more discoveries from this conference when you're back. Have a good rest of the trip in Boston, Marks Astro.
1: Thank you, Alex.
0: Mark Zastro taking us through our science and technology, and that's just about it for our program today. Watch out for some of the big developments this week. We are anticipating some sort of response from the acting president and prime minister Huang Jie on whether to extend or not the investigation into the presidential scandal. That would have huge implications. Your news headlines are coming up in just a few moments. Then stay with us for CareerScape and Kurt Asian. We'll be back with this morning tomorrow at seven o five.